Hello, friends, and welcome back. So we just passed July 2nd, National Alien Day, for those of you that didn't know. And um, this time around, I felt like I'd revisit an old childhood favorite. It just came to mind, and I'm like, yep. That's gonna. That's it. I'm watching it, and uh, essentially, I honestly didn't realize how terrible this movie is, and at the same time, how amazing and great it is. It's just this combination of silly jokes and just classic executed, you know, motifs that are just dedicated to the genre. So, without further ado, I'm so excited to break down. You know, one of my favorites. The one, the only, Mars Attacks. What is that? White House is coming out live. My fellow Americans, this is a momentous occasion. It is profoundly moving to know there is intelligent life out there. Alien life. And our world will never feel quite the same again. Once you believe. Martians. Once you rise above fear, annihilate, kill, kill. Let's not be too rash. Then you'll be invited. Hi there. Are you interested in the White House? To meet with a new people. It's so perfect that it's happening at the beginning of the new millennium. More powerful than the might of America. I'll tell you one thing: they ain't getting a TV. More advanced than the brains of Britain. Ladies and gentlemen, this could be a cultural misunderstanding. But be prepared for a few changes to what we know and love. It's Tom Jones, right? It ain't unusual. As we must learn to dance. Girls, get out! To a new tune. Jack Nicholson. Whoa. Why can't we all just get along? Glenn Close. Kick the crap out of him. What, in your view, are some of the things that the Martians can teach us, Professor? Quite a lot about Mars, I expect, Natalie. That means I'm... You want to conquer the world? You're going to need lawyers, right? And Annette Manning. I think they've come to save us. From director Tim Burton. We all make mistakes, Mr. President. Mars attacks. Not anymore. We're going to take charge of this thing. Man, watch that trailer. The way 2020 is going, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this would be the next big event. But it's, it's for another podcast that's certainly not mine. Uh, but either way... What a what a trailer! It's it's quite hysterical, and what a movie! Mars Attacks, the 1996 American comic science fiction film, directed by Tim Burton, one of my heroes, and co-produced by Larry J. Franco. <clears throat> the screenplay was based on the cult trading cards, which I honestly had no clue about, um, on by the same name. And if you look up these trading cards, they are the exact image of our little green 
uh, emblem or a little green alien, uh, you know, that sort of haunts uh, our dreams through this film. And at the same time, we absolutely cannot but love. They're like the original minion. Um, the film features one hell of a cast, a huge ensemble. We've got Jack Nicholson doing this dual role, which I didn't catch on to till watching this later, which I feel kind of embarrassed admitting. I guess as a kid, his acting totally had... Uh, yeah, I didn't notice it. But either way, we have Glenn, Co- uh, Glenn Close, uh, Annette Benning, Pierce Brosnan, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, Sarah Jessica Parker, Michael Jake Fox. The list goes on and on. Hell, we even have Tom Jones. It's insane. And um, this film, you know, this is something that they'd been, well, Alex Cox in particular had been trying to make since the 1980s. But it wouldn't be until 1996 when, you know, finally we would see this dream come to reality. And uh, the budget, I can't wait to kind of break this down because it's quite fascinating. I mean, these are some of the most high-tech and insane edits that you've ever seen in the films. The, the special effects that have been added for 1996 are unreal. And it's kind of uh, unique to see how the budget was approached at that point, and not to mention the release. So, uh, you know, let's definitely break this down. So in 1985, Alex Cox pitched the idea of the film based off the trading cards to the joint production of Orion and TriStar Pictures. He wrote three drafts, basically over four years, but uh, this, but he would be replaced. And uh, essentially, Orion and TriStar placed Mars Attack in this weird turnaround. So Jonathan Gems, uh, previously written multiple unproduced screenplays for Tim Burton, came up with the idea of the Mars Attack film in 1993. Uh, the writer would pitch the concept of Mars attacks and dinosaur attacks to Burton. And uh, Burton was very hesitant about dinosaur attack, just too, too Jurassic Park vibe. So essentially Burton was uh, decided to change things and he was busy preparing Ed Wood at the time and essentially believed Mars attacks would be a perfect opportunity to pay homage <clears throat> to the films of Edward Wood. Junior, especially, you know, Plan from the Outer Space, uh, 1950s, and all the other science fiction films of the 1950s. And we're looking at the B ones. These are not great ones. So we're looking at Vader's of Mars, It Came from Outer Space, War of the Worlds, Target Earth, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, and, you know, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. So Burton set Mars Attacks up with Warner Brothers, and the studio purchased the film rights to the trading and to the trading cards on his behalf. And the original theatrical release date was planned for the summer of 1996. Now, originally, this budget was set around $260 million. The studio wasn't looking to spend any more than about 60. So after numerous drafts and an attempt to lower the budget, Gems was replaced by Edward uh, Raider, Scott Alexander, and Larry Kirowaski. Gems would eventually return to the project, writing a total of about 12 drafts of the script. Although he's credited with both the screen story and the screenplay for Mars Attacks, Gems dedicates his novelization of the movie to Burton, who co-wrote the screenplay and didn't ask for the credit. Warner Brothers was dubious of uh, Martin's dial of the Martian dialogue and wanted Burton to add closing captions or subtitles which he totally resisted. So that's why you might see it in the trailer and not in the actual film. So working with Burton, Gems paired the film's 60 leading characters down to 23 and the worldwide destruction planned for the film to isolate to three major cities and scenes featuring the Martians attacking China, the Philippines, Japan, and so forth. 
uh, sadly were eventually cut. That even included Rod of Russia. That would have been kind of cool to see. Now, bear in mind, this was way before Independence Day, which was also in 1996. Same release year, so we're going to get into that. Um, and uh, Gems would comment that, you know, we had they had things like Manhattan being destroyed building by building. The White House went, and so did the Empire State Building. Warner Brothers figured all this would be too expensive, so they cut most of that out to reduce the cost. <clears throat> now... As I was saying, we've got Mars Attack and Independence Day. They are totally separate films and oddly enough being released in the same year. Gems kind of compares it as Independence Day is more like the movie Failsafe and Mars Attack is more like the movie Doctor Strange Love. Basically in both films we have similar stories but totally different tones. I mean Howard Stern claimed that the film's climax where the attack of the Martians was thwarted by playing Slim Whitman's song uh, you know, essentially originally created by him when he worked by the WNBC in 1982 in a sketch named Slim Whitman versus the Midget Aliens from Mars. Burton then would later to this later listen to this sketch um, being interviewed by Stern and totally dismissed it as mere coincidence. And I kind of have to agree. So we're talking about money, yet at the same time they end up hiring a huge cast you'd figure that'd be your first thing to cut but the reason they wanted this a-list ensemble cast is to basically parallel with the strategy Irwin Allen used for his disaster films you know notably Poseidon's Adventure Towering Inferno and uh, Jack Nicholson you know approached for the role of the president jokingly remarked that he wanted to play all of them but uh, Burton uh, agreed to cast Nicholson as both Art Land and President Dale, uh, specifically remembering his positive working relationship with the actor during their uh, their time together on the set of Batman. <clears throat> now, Susan Sarandon was originally set to play Barbara Land before Annette Bening. Uh, Bening modeled the character after Anne Margaret's performance in Viva Las Vegas. Uh, originally, they wanted Hugh Grant as the first choice for Professor Donner Kessler. Of course, this would end up being cast over to Pierce Brosnan. Uh, Meryl Streep, Diane Keaton, Stalker Channing, they were all considered for the role of the First Lady, uh, Marsha Dale. Uh, but of course, Glenn Close would win that. And uh, essentially, Nicholson, other actors, you know, they all would be reunited with uh, Burton. I mean, Sylvia Sidney from Beetlejuice, Olean Jones from Edward Scissorhands, Danny DeVito, again from Batman. They all love working with the man and I totally get it. He's so adorable. How can he not love Tim Burton? Now, the filming was originally set to start mid-August 1995, uh, but of course, sadly being delayed till February of 1996. Now, director Tim Burton would hire Peter uh, Sulsky as the cinematographer because he was a fan of his work in the David Cronenberg films. Uh, production designer Thomas Wynne uh, from A Beautiful Mind intended to have a war room pay tribute to Dr. Strangelove. And for Burton, he just insisted that the art direction, cinematography, and costume design all incorporate the look, the feel, and the vibe of those 1960s trading cards. Now, you're probably curious, like I was, how they got the inspiration for the, like, female Martian combination that kills uh, Jerry Ross or Martin Short. Essentially, the costume designer combined inspiration of the playing cards, Marilyn Monroe, and the work of Albert Vargas and Jane Fonda in Barbarella. For me, I was kind of wondering if they went after the tall whites or something like that. I wasn't entirely sure. Uh, but uh, funny enough, this was actually played by Tim Burton's girlfriend at the time, Lisa Marie Smith. 
And uh, filming uh, for Mars Attack would end June 1st, 1996. And the film score, of course, being um, composed by the one, the only Danny Elfman, who um, Burton actually had kind of just gotten in a little quarrel with after uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, essentially uh, for which um, Danny was not willing to cooperate for the film Ed Wood. So kind of interesting little fun fact behind the scenes with their relationship. And uh, for the use of Mars Attack, um, Elfman enlisted the help of the Oingo Boingo lead guitarist, Steve Bartek, to help arrange the compositions for the orchestra. Now the visual effects... They're groundbreaking for 1996. And uh, Burton initially intended to use stop-motion animation to feature the, the uh, Martians, spent essentially trying to pay homage to the more work of uh, Ray Harry Hawson, essentially primarily Jason and the Argonauts, and, uh, of course, to Beetlejuice. But uh, Burton kind of wanted to make the special effects look cheap and purposely fake. You know, he wanted that B-vibe film essence that comes with this and uh, essentially he would approach Harry uh, Henry Selick director of the Nightmare Before Christmas to supervise the stop motion work but Selick was busy directing James and the Giant Peach and uh, that was also being produced by Burton so he wasn't really going to distract him from that project now despite the fact that Warner Brothers was skeptical of the escalating budget they had not yet greenlit the film for production and Burton hired Barry Purvis to shepherd the stop motion work Purvis created um, essentially an international team of about 70 animators and they all started working on Mars Attacks and uh, this was work essentially for eight months and essentially they began compiling test footage and the Martians movement would be uh, essentially inspired from the movement of Norma Desmond from the film Sunset Boulevard. The budget was projected for $100 million. Uh, Warner Brothers wanted no more at this point than $75 million. Uh, producer Larry Franco commissioned a test reel from Industrial Light and Magic and the visual effects company he worked with uh, on Jumanji. Burton uh, was persuaded to change his mind to employ computer animation, which brought the final production budget to about $80 million. Although Purvis was uncredited for his work, stop-motion supervisors Ian McKeon and Peter Saunders, who would later collaborate with Burton for Corpse Bride, received character design credits. Now, Warner uh, Digital Studios was responsible for the scenes of global destruction, airborne flying saucer sequences, the Martian landing in Nevada, the robot chasing Richie down the the strip in his pickup truck, and Warner Digital also used practical effects such as the building scale models at Big Ben and other landmarks, and uh, essentially the destruction of Artland's hotel was uh, footage of a real-life nighttime demolition of the landmark hotel and casino, a building Burton wished to immortalize. Now, I mentioned the airborne flying saucers. That opening sequence, it's beautiful, depicting all the saucers leaving Mars, flying to Earth, and is measured at about 5,000 frames long and was created almost entirely with computer graphics. Uh, While the first shot showing a lone recognitive ship ship leaving Earth was handled by ILM, two of the force sequence remaining 12 shots were all done by Warner Digital. Now I mentioned that music, of course, majority of this, including that that uh, mean uh, sort of theme that we hear throughout it. Gotta love Danny Elfman. There's just something about his 
technique. It's just it's like a signature. You can just always recognize his work. And of course, we have Tom Jones. He's appearing in it. Of course, we're going to see and hear some of his music with the typical, it's not unusual. It's just that sort of horrible dad joke when you're dealing with aliens. And that song, Indian Love Call, Slim Whitman. It is so bizarre. It's so eerie. I have no idea how people enjoyed that in the 50s. It's just so odd. It even gets stuck in your head after. I don't know why, but it's uh, it just adds to the bizarre hilarity that is this film. So release Warner Brothers. They spent about $20 million on the movie's marketing campaign. Altogether with the $80 million spent for production, they came out at about $100 million. Now, the novelization, I got to look into this by Jonathan Gems. I'm quite interested and uh, just looks like so much fun. And uh, essentially, this film released in the U.S. December 13, 1996, earning about $10 million in its opening weekend. Eventually, around $40 million in the U.S. and a total of about $64 million elsewhere, coming in at about $100 million, just over $100 million earned. So what does that mean? Box office bomb. It was not any bit of a success. It didn't make it them more money than they thought. But essentially, it did become a little bit of a critical commercial success in Europe, as well as a cult classic. <clears throat> now, I had mentioned... They were competing with Independence Day. It also came out in 1996. Total coincidence. As Burton put it, nobody told me about it. I was surprised how close it was. And uh, essentially he continued. But then it was pretty basic genre, I guess. Independence Day was a different tone. It's It's totally different in everything. It seemed like we had done some kind of mad magazine version of Independence Day. During the film's theatrical run in January 1997... TBS purchased the broadcasting rights to this film. Now, the critics. Definitely mixed reviews. It's basically sitting at about 5 out of 10 when we're looking at, you know, kind of a scoreboard. About 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. And some of the main quotes that I was able to pick up from Tim Burton's Alien Invasion spoof faithfully recreates the wooden characters and shockly story of cheesy 50 sci-fi and Edward movies, perhaps a little too faithfully for audiences. Edward himself could have told us what's wrong with this movie. The makers felt superior to the material. To be funny, even Sherlock was to believe itself. And finally, a positive review. You have to admire everyone's chutpa, the breath the breadth of Tim Burton and the writer Jonathan Gems movie references, which range from Kurosara to Kubrick, and above all, the refusal to offer a single likable character. Perhaps they don't even create quite enough deeply funny earthlings to go around, but a thoroughly mean-spirited big-budget movie is always a treasurable, treasurable rarity. And moving on, reward awards. It basically was on the shortlist for the Academy Award for Visual Effects, but sadly would lose out to the nomination with Independence Day, Dragonheart, and Twister all being up that year. And uh, the film, of course, came up for a couple awards with the Saturn Awards, winning Best Music with Danny Elfman and so forth, but remains, sadly, with only the nominations and no wins. Now, me, personally, I love this film. It's silly. It's funny. It's over the top. The alien's speech is 
impeccably weird, but it's so much fun. It's just the joy of sci-fi, and I just will always look back to this film with fond memories, and I don't think I'll ever tire of it. It's just such a wonderful mix of, you know, silly, semi-lovable characters. I mean, you got to give Natalie Portman some credit, as well as those... Um, can't remember their names, but the two boys that kind of basically sort of save her in the White House. It's just altogether fabulous, fabulous writing, in my opinion, and just altogether good, good fun. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you know, summer for the scare of you. I'm hoping we've got lots of fun and surprises coming your way. So definitely stay tuned. If you want to see what antics I'm getting up to in the meanwhile, you know, you can certainly follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Remember, friends, definitely take care of each other. This world is a crazy, crazy place. And uh, just sometimes get the impression that those up top, you know, they're certainly kind of not looking out for us down below. So it's up to us to take care of each other, take care of our neighbors, take care of your family, your friends, the whole shebang, you know, live each day to its fullest. And uh, I've gotta steal this from last podcast you know let's stop looking at a pandemic it's a fundemic yeah you know however you will just basically take care of each other guys wear a goddamn mask and just love each other even though it stings sometimes you just gotta bear through it and uh, as always guys stay strong keep calm and stay creepy